0: This podcast was recorded at Grace Point Church of Orville. For more information, visit us online at orogracepoint.com. Continuing on with our lessons through the Psalms of Ascent, here reading along, of course, in Eugene Peterson's book. But let me read for you Psalm 122, which begins uh, the lesson for today. Psalm 122 says when they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. And now we're here, O Jerusalem, inside Jerusalem's walls, Jerusalem, well-built city built as a place for worship, the city to which the tribes ascend, all God's tribes go up to worship, to give thanks to the name of God. This is what it means to be Israel. Thrones for righteous judgment are set there, famous David thrones. Pray for Jerusalem's peace, prosperity to all you Jerusalem lovers, friendly insiders, get along, hostile outsiders, keep your distance. For the sake of my family and friends, I say it again, live in peace for the sake of the house of our God. God, I'll do my very best for you. Psalm 122 is the third in the sequence of the Psalms of Ascent. If you'll remember, Psalm 120 is the psalm of repentance, the one that gets us out of an environment of deceit and hostility and sets us on our way towards God, this pilgrim journey that we're not going to a physical place, a geographical location, but that really this is a journey into the heart of God Psalm 121, we looked at this last week, is a psalm of trust. It's a demonstration of faith that resists what I was calling the vending machine view of God in the sky. Or these notions that somehow, just because I choose to travel towards God, that now my life is going to be perfect and without problems. Psalm 21 resists that view and instead maintains that it is God who will guard us from every evil within the midst of life's difficulties and the trials and the tribulations that just come about because you're living a life in this present world. There are things associated with life that we all have to deal with. And Psalm 121 is a psalm of trust that says, I'm embarking on this pilgrim pathway not because I think it's going to solve every single difficulty of life, but that in this journey, God is going to guard me and keep me from all evil along the way. Now, today, we take another step with uh, this particular psalm, Psalm 122, which is a psalm of worship. And I like this definition here of worship or this description that it's a demonstration of what people of faith everywhere and always do. They gather together to a set place and worship God. Psalm 122 for us in many ways can be described as the song of a person who has decided. And that's an important piece. Who has decided to go to the house of the Lord and worship God. It is something It requires a choice, just like the decision to uh, embark on the journey at the beginning is a choice. Likewise, worship is also a choice that Christians and pilgrims must make. One of the things that came up in this chapter, and I thought it was sort of an interesting thing to consider, is the fact that much of what we consider to be Christian behavior is a part of our current legal system. Don't kill people, don't steal. Lots of the components that make up what it would mean to obey God and honor God have become a part of our legal system, and in that regard, they're sort of coercive. So it's not just a matter of God said, don't kill people. But if you kill people, there are going to be consequences in this present world for that. So there's kind of this interesting mix of, yes, I'm not supposed to steal. But even if you don't believe in God, you probably are going to at least try to avoid stealing or getting caught stealing in any case, because there will be consequences. You can be arrested, you can go to jail, all of these kinds of things. But when it comes to worship... Worship is not part of our society's rules and regulations. In fact, in our contemporary culture, if you want to make the decision to go up to the house of the Lord and worship, many times in today's world, you're going to be working crosswise with our culture. It wasn't too many years ago that lots of places were closed on Sundays People didn't do things on Sundays, and so it facilitated going to church. I I can even remember as a little kid, and this is, again, not a long time ago, or at least that's what I keep telling myself, that there were some things you had to plan ahead because you couldn't do it. If you waited until Sunday to do certain things, you wouldn't have that opportunity because the business would be closed, the place would be shut down because it's Sunday. Now, with the exception, I guess, of sort of government buildings, you can just about do anything that you would do other days of the week on Sunday. You may not be able to mail something at the post office, but you can take it to the UPS store. So so our culture, not only is it not legislating worship, but in many ways it's working contrary. And so the Christian call to worship is something that is absolutely voluntary. Everyone who goes up to the house of the Lord to worship on a Sunday, first of all, does so because they chose to. Of course, we're exempting little kids and, you know, some of these unique circumstances. In all honesty, when I was a little kid, I did not choose to go up to the house of the Lord to worship. It was a decision made for me. But for for us here today, I think that the bulk of us, I would hope, we decided to go up to worship. So for Christians today who go to the house of the Lord to worship, first, it's a voluntary thing. It's something we made a decision to do. Secondly, it probably involves saying no to some other things because everyone here today has other things to do. You have projects that are waiting on you, unfinished business that's waiting on you, but you made a decision I am going up to the house of the Lord. And really, this is where you get to see people's values expressed in truth. When when you have other options and you choose to do A instead of B, that's how you see what people's values are. I don't know how many people would just start stealing cars if all of a sudden it was now legal to do so. I suspect there would probably be more car theft if it was legal than there is today, right? Now, it's not to say that everybody is all of a sudden gonna go out and start stealing cars if we say you're not gonna get get put in jail for it anymore, but there are some behaviors that I suspect there would be an increase, an uptick in that behavior if the threat of the legal system was no longer brought to bear. Or if they didn't think that you would shoot them for stealing your car, there's that aspect to it as well. Maybe the government won't go after you, but maybe somebody will be shooting at you. But when it comes to voluntary actions, that's where you get to see really what matters for people. And worship is one of those things. It's voluntary. It's a choice. This is what I want to do. And it's a good reminder in this chapter This is something that Christians do in great numbers. Today, there will be more people in houses of worship who have made a decision to go up and worship God than will be in any of the sports arenas, any of the other venues of entertainment. Worship, contrary to popular notions, is still something that Christians do. It's a part of our character, it's a part of our nature. And especially when it comes to this question of being a pilgrim, being a disciple of Jesus, worship is not the exception. It's the norm. Going up to the house of the Lord is not something that special pilgrims do. It's something that all pilgrims are expected to do. That's part of our identity. Going up and worshiping God doesn't make me a super Christian. It's just part of the fabric of who I am, just like Breathing oxygen doesn't make me a special human being, right? I don't get an award because I can breathe oxygen. It's sort of expected. You're a human being. You should be breathing oxygen. Likewise, worship, it's not something that, that the pilgrim doesn't expect. They're going to get a certificate in the mail. Congratulations, you have gone up to the house of the Lord to worship. When it comes to worship, the pilgrim is not collecting worship merit badges. They recognize this is who we are going up to worship God. This phrase at the beginning, right? When they said, let us go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. That should be the fundamental character of all true pilgrims. What better place can I envision going than up to worship God? In the chapter, there are three things that uh, Eugene Peterson points out in this psalm that I think are worth noting about worship. Worship gives us a workable structure for life. Worship nurtures our relationship with God. And worship centers our attention on the decisions of God. So let's let's unpack those three things because I think all three of them have relevance and importance for us. So first, this framework, worship, gives us a workable structure for life. This is why the psalmist is so excited. This is why the pilgrim is so excited to go up to the house of the Lord to worship. When the ancient pilgrim would come to Jerusalem, they would encounter these foundational realities of their own existence, of their existence relative to other believers and relative to God. When they go up to Jerusalem, they are reminded... God created you, God redeemed you, God provided for you. It was a physical reminder of God's ongoing work in the world. In all of their other travels and goings, they're reminded of different things. If they go to the market, they're reminded of something. If they pass by a Roman citadel, they're reminded of the power of Rome. They're reminded of the foreign occupation. These things happen to us as we travel around town. You go places, you see things, and they remind you of certain realities. When you see people wandering around the streets, you are reminded of the chaos of our world. When you sort of pass through and you see, I guess if you want to have a business in this town, you need to be a pharmacy. There are pharmacies. Have you ever noticed that? They're everywhere. It reminds me, when I see all of them, is that People are taking a lot of drugs. And I'm not talking about, you know, just people. We often sort of lament, you know, everybody on meth and all of these things. I'm talking about this is stuff that they're getting prescriptions for. It's everywhere. And when I, when I drive to church and I pass, I don't know, three or four of them just on the regular route to get here, that reminds me, man, people are in great need of all of this extra pharmaceutical stuff. When you go to Jerusalem, you're reminded of a different reality. You're reminded this. It's a it's an architectural metaphor, a city that is built together, that is framed. Right. This is how the psalmist describes it. There are walls. It's a well-built city. It's a place that is built for worship. When you get there, you see a physical reminder of God's ongoing work through time. You see this building that's dedicated not to pharmaceuticals, not to Rome, but this is the place where God has repeatedly come and met with his people, where God forgives sins, where God enters into fellowship with his creation, where he makes it possible to live a life that's free of guilt, that's free of sin. And it's a place that gathers up all the fragments of life. It doesn't matter where you come from. You can be coming from Galilee in the north, which is more of a farming. We might call it a redneck part of the country. You might be coming from one of the wealthy cities on the coast. You might be coming from the desert in the south. But when you get to Jerusalem, you're reminded that it's one God who has redeemed all of us. And it doesn't matter which tribe you've come from. We're all going to one building. When you come to Jerusalem, there's not a temple for the tribe of Judah and a temple for the tribe of Manasseh and a temple for the converts, right? It's one temple. And so the architecture, the, the, the building itself reminds you there's, there's one place that we gather together in the presence of God. And these metaphors, of course, they carry through to the New Testament church. And you read, if you look in the letters of Paul and you look in the New Testament, you see them wrestling with these same sorts of things because it is a little bit difficult to remind ourselves that we are all in one body. There were competitions between the various tribes. Well, look at the ministry of Jesus. What did they say when he's coming? Can any good thing come from up there where he lives, right? So they have these tensions. They have these wrestlings. Likewise, we do the same sort of things. And we have our, in the back of our minds, yeah, can any good thing come from there or that group or that background? And so worship, it gives this structure, right? It frames what we're doing in a very concrete way. Going up to the house of the Lord forces me I'm serious, it forces me to have to interact with other believers. Now, if you are a complete people person, then maybe that's the joy of your life. But there are some of us that having to deal with other people all the time is not the most exciting thing in the world. Yesterday morning, the Hunger Walk fundraiser at Applebee's, when we sort of divvy up the jobs... Luckily, because I'm the current president of the of the group, I get a little more say in these things. I told them, I said, I've got I'm washing dishes, so there's another space for somebody to help out. The Episcopal priest came to help me wash dishes, and you know why? Because it's so nice to just be in the back and not deal with all the people coming in and out. We said, this is so unlike our normal jobs. Plates come back and they're dirty, and you know what we do? We just scrape the stuff into the trash, hose it down, put it pull the lever, it goes through and it comes out clean and it's done. It's so simple. There's no talking. It just like this is great. Like, oh, can you guys work two hours washing dishes? We said we can stay here all day. (laughs) You just seat people, you deal with people who come back and this one doesn't want any sausage. This one only wants eggs. This one wants extra butter. Right. You deal with all of that. I will just scrape dishes and squirt them off and put them in the dishwasher. Coming into the house of God into worship makes me have to interact with the fact that we don't all sing the same type of songs. We don't all have the same personalities, but it is one God who has called us together, who has called us to partner with him in his one kingdom in his one church. And so in worship, it does give us this workable structure for life in the sense that it's this concrete fabric, this architectural metaphor that forces me to structure my life not around me, but around this common purpose, this common task that we have. This weekly gathering it's an opportunity to recalibrate my personal rhythms and get them in alignment with the rhythm of grace. Now, this is not only a joy, but I would be remiss if I didn't say this is also a certain responsibility, right? What we are working together each week to create is not a weekly guilt, self- guilt session where you come and you find out how bad you are and how you haven't measured up and everything that's wrong with you. That's not our goal when we get together. It's to remind us of God's saving work, God's redeeming work, the fact that God transcends all of our backgrounds, all of our personal preferences. It's a good opportunity that then allows us, we recalibrate, we're structured so that we can go out and live this the rest of the week. It should change the way I interact with people during the week. So the first piece of this, it gives us a workable structure for life. Now, worship, it is a choice, but it's a choice that's made in response to a command. So worship is volitional. It's something that we choose to do, but in Scripture, we see that God actually commands us to praise him, to give him thanks, to celebrate his goodness. And this is what nurture, nurtures our relationship with God. Look at that line in the psalm. To give thanks to the name of the Lord, this is what it means to be Israel. Praising God is part of our nature. It's, that's who we are. Uh, and worship is, is part of this recalibration process that helps nurture a proper relationship with God. I love this quote in here from Augustine who said, right, a Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. That as a Christian, when you come up to the temple and you see this architectural metaphor that it's a house that's built by God, It's a house for all peoples. It's a place that celebrates God's redemption, God's forgiveness, God's provision. That should create in me praise. I should be ready to celebrate. Oh, I am so glad I get to participate in this. Yes, as pilgrims, we make mistakes. Occasionally, we get off track. But worship reminds us That God doesn't just abandon us. God doesn't just say, all right, you took a wrong turn. See you later. But he's constantly pursuing us, constantly trying to lead us and guide us and get us back on track. And praise celebrates that truth. It's the expression that we who have come to the house of the Lord now give voice. Right? So there's this architecture. There's this structure, but now we fill that structure with our own contribution, with our voice lifting up and worshiping, not because we're forced to do so, but because we recognize God has guided us along this journey. It's God who has made it possible for us to be here. And so it is a joyful thing to go up and praise God. Now, when I say that this is a choice and it's a response to God's instruction, God's command, uh, it's important to realize that that means it's something we do, not just when we feel like it. Again, another, I don't know if these are confessions or what these are, Um, I like washing dishes on occasion because there's no people around. Um, I think if we're honest, all of us would recognize that there are some days when we just don't feel like going up to worship, right? That's, now, maybe again, you're one of those super, super spiritual people that you just would be happy if there was church every single day of the week. You couldn't wait to get there. We like to say those sorts of things. But the reality of life is that sometimes we don't necessarily feel like doing things. I don't feel like reading my Bible every day. I don't feel like praying every day. I don't feel like going up to worship every time. But as a pilgrim, someone who is interested in the long game, I understand that feelings are not the sum total of reality. If you live your life based on how you feel about things, you are headed into disaster after disaster. And that applies across the board. You're going to end up at disasters in your work, in your relationships, in your marriage, in every kind of interaction you can think about if it's based all on feeling. Now, it is nice, and there should be times where we feel good, right? Feeling is a part of it, but that's not the overriding concern of the true pilgrim. The true pilgrim has already made the decision I am leaving this place, right? I am fed up with the way that things are in the world around me. I am fed up with the lies of this world. I am going to God. I am embarking on a decision or I'm making a decision to embark on a journey and I am going someplace. My mind is made up. I've settled that now along the way. We will experience a whole host of feelings. There will be days of great joy. There will be days of celebration. There will be times when we rejoice and we feel great. And there will be days when we don't feel so great. And we don't feel so happy. And we don't feel so nice about things. And the true pilgrim is the one who keeps on walking. Who keeps on moving forward. Who says, you know... God has redeemed me and I'm going to lift up my voice and I'm going to declare his goodness. I'm going to celebrate his wonderful works, even if I don't feel like it today. Eugene Peterson points out an interesting contrast. Uh, He quotes this guy who describes our current contemporary world as an age of sensation. That is to say, people, they think that if they don't feel something then they can't be authentic about doing it and you hear this all the time well you know I just can't keep doing this because I it just doesn't feel right to me that's not the basis for everything you may feel like killing your kids someday but as a parent you still have to love them you have to uh, protect them you have to care for them and it doesn't mean it's inauthentic if you're really frustrated, right? If you if you feel like whacking them on the head, but you don't, that doesn't mean that somehow you're being inauthentic. No, it means you have really accepted the task of being a parent because you are able to act above and beyond how you feel. Likewise, when it comes to my relationship with God, and this is how worship nurtures my relationship with God, it leads me into a more mature relationship, is I can come and honor God even when I don't feel so good. And that doesn't mean that I'm somehow a hypocrite, that I'm inauthentic. Well, I can't, I don't feel great, so why would I sing? Because you are mature. That's why you sing. Because your relationship with God is deepened to the point that you can think about the long game. You can think about the big picture, not just the moment in which you are presently existing. So worship, it is a call to maturity. It doesn't just provide this framework for life that that frames and reminds us God has healed us, God's redeemed us, we're all gathered together. But it really does help us mature and deepen our relationship with God And there is also this principle in the Bible that if you do what's right, God will change how you feel about it. It's it's kind of a strange sort of thing. Um, There are some things that you may start out doing and they don't feel so good, but you know it's the right thing to do. And then over time, your feeling will change. Did you know you could do this with your taste buds? If you eat something... I forget what the time frame is. Now, I want to say like five weeks, something for five weeks. You can change your taste buds. We've all experienced this. Does anybody here like Brussels sprouts? You know, the little brains? Few people do. I like them. I used to hate them. I recognize they taste good now, but before they tasted good, I knew they were good for me. So something else that, I consciously had to embark knowing I'm going to change the way that I feel about this because it's good for me, are sardines. Now, you may not feel compelled to enter into that journey yet. They're good for you. They're cheap. They're right. So so for me, there's like all of these boxes I read, you know, they're good for your brain, they're good for this, they last forever, they're low in mercury and all these pollutants, they're really cheap. I've got those all stacked up, and on this side, they taste horrible. So what did I do? Well, I started mixing them with things. I would make a big thing of rice, and I would chop them up, the plain ones in there, and put sriracha sauce and all kinds of things and eat it where I couldn't really even taste them to start with slowly, slowly. Now I can eat them right out of the can and they actually taste good. What happened? I was mature enough. Now, I'm not saying if you don't eat them that you're not mature. I'm talking just about me. I was mature enough to recognize this is good for me and I'm going to stick with it until my feelings catch up with reality. When it comes to worship, it's this same principle that it's not always enjoyable. I don't always feel like, well, I should worship God, I should pray, I should sing. But the mature disciple understands this is what's right. This is what God deserves. This is the appropriate response to what has been given to me. And so I'm going to keep walking on this pilgrim path and trust that at some point my feelings will catch up with my maturity and with the reality of who we are and who God is and what God is trying to accomplish. The third piece in this, not only does worship give us a workable structure for life, it nurtures our relationship with God, but it also centers our attention on the decisions of God. How is this possible? Well, the Psalms describe this place of worship, or our psalm today, rather, describes worship as the place where thrones for righteous judgment are set. Famous David thrones. Now you have to understand, this biblical word judgment doesn't just mean punishment, but it really means that word, that decisive word by which God straightens things out and put things right. Judgment is God declaring reality. It's not just punishment. It's not just used in terms of you've sinned. Now you're going to be judged. But the judgments of God are the declarations made by God as to what reality is made of, what the truth about a particular circumstance or situation is, and in worship, The Word of God is proclaimed. That's why in a worship service, and when we worship, we have to make sure it's not just our own ideas. Worship is not just singing. It involves singing, the confession of believers, but it has to include the declaration of God's Word. The preaching of God's Word is part of worship. The reading of Scripture is part of worship. It's that atmosphere where we Speak God's word where we hear God's word challenge our minds. It refreshes our memory, right? If you think back to that architecture, when we come up, it reminds us, hey, this is not all about me. And when God's word is declared in worship, when it's celebrated in our singing, we need to sing songs that reflect God's word. The lyrics are important. The lyrics are more important than the rhythm, the beat, the style. You can have feel good music that doesn't reflect the truth of God's word and it it doesn't have power and you can have music that, again, this gets to that feeling and that taste. Well, this just this isn't my style, but is it word? Is it communicating God's declaration about who we are? Is it communicating God's declaration about forgiveness and sin and redemption and hope? Yes. Then it's worship. And it's important. And that's what we have to celebrate. The word of God is crucial to worship. And in the house of worship, that's where this takes place at its its best point. I've mentioned this before. Usually when I open service, I'll say something like, I can sing at home, I can pray at home, but it's good to have other believers together. There is a component of worship that you can't get by yourself, that you can get when you're with other people. Namely, when I'm by myself, I sing whatever makes me feel good. When's the last time you were driving down the road or in the shower or working in the garden and you decided to sing a song that you just didn't care for? Never, right? You don't sing songs that you don't care for. And sometimes it's the song that I don't like that I need to hear. When I'm by myself, I can change the channel. I can just flip over to a new station, listen to something else, change the genre. I can flip the page in the book. Right, If I get up tomorrow morning and I start reading chapter 4 in this book, and I say, you know what, I just don't feel like this, I can close it and go on to something else. But when the preacher gets up to read his text, you can't say, well, can you just read, go to the next chapter, go, turn the page, Right, You have to sit and listen. Now, you can zone out, and that's, I'm sure, an occurrence that happens. <laughs> you, but you're, there's a certain aspect of worship together that forces me to move beyond myself, to get beyond my own prejudice, my own likes, my own dislikes, and say, what is the word of the Lord today? Maybe there's something I need to be reminded about that I'm not on my own going to venture into those waters. Maybe I need to be corrected. We're usually really good at making excuses for ourselves, not pointing out our own flaws. It's in corporate worship together that the word of the Lord can come and challenge us, can make us rethink decisions, can cause us to rethink course directions and trajectories in our own lives, if we really want to hear what God says and what God thinks, we have to worship together because I can't get it all on my own. And this is not something to be lamented. It's something to be celebrated. The psalmist celebrates the fact, I'm going up to worship with the people of God. I'm going up to get a new perspective. I'm going up to get my ideas challenged. I'm going up to hear something that I hadn't been thinking about, to be reminded of something maybe that I had forgotten. Right? It's not just that we learn new things, but sometimes it takes the presence of other people to remind us of things that, yes, we know, but we've forgotten, that we've lost sight of, that, that have drifted out of our field of vision. And that includes other people's struggles, other people's problems, not just their triumphs and their victories. Sometimes I need to see and be reminded that God has done a lot for me and God is doing a lot for this person and and they're struggling and I need to pay attention because maybe I'm just papering over some issues in my own life. It's just more visible because it's happening to them in a particular way, but But I've got the same thing going on in my life. Worshiping together challenges us to think about this big picture. Now. Worship as important as it is, and even for those who are faithful to the house of God, it's a small part of our life. We've talked about this before. A couple hours a week spread out over the whole year. Most people, if you'll remember the the statistics, most people spend more time in the bathroom than they do at worship. And for some weird reason, it's skewed. The men spend way more time in the bathroom than the women do for some reason. We won't try to solve that today. But it's not a huge part of our lives time-wise. But it is a tremendously significant part of our lives when it comes to walking this pilgrim pathway. It's not supposed to be the end all of everything. right? Worship is not supposed to be this thing that totally pacifies us and then we're good until next week. That's how some people act like, you know, they come on Sunday and they, they get in touch with God and they take this huge breath of air and then they try to hold it until next week. That's not what worship is about. Worship is that framing, recharge, recalibration, so that we can go out during the week and live lives. And the image that we get in this psalm is the image of peace and prosperity, of wholeness. And the prosperity word's important to, if you go back and look at the Hebrew word there, it doesn't mean like getting rich. It means the ability to relax. That's what prosperity and even if you think about the English word prosperity, that's more of the original connotation. If you're prosperous, it means you're not stressed out every day about where your meals coming from. You can relax this peace and prosperity that comes to the one who is regularly journeying up to the house of the Lord to worship is a wholeness that comes from being reminded about who God is And what God is doing and what our relationship to God, right? We recalibrate all these things. We're reminded he's the one that's redeeming. He's the one that's forgiving us. That brings wholeness back to our lives. And it also allows us to live a week in prosperity. Not I'm going out this week and now by next week I'm going to be a millionaire. But that during the week I can relax. I can trust God. I cannot be obsessing about every little thing this week. One, because I have a wholeness that comes from God. And two, God has secured my life and my future such that this week I can trust him to take care of me. I can relax. I'm not panicking all week that I'm going to get be lost and go to hell before Sunday can come around again. If you listen to some people, their only hope is that they'll die at church. Otherwise, they're going to be lost forever. That's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live with confidence on Wednesday. God's got this. God knows what he's doing. God's taking care of my family. That happens when we regularly journey up to the house of the Lord so that God can give us this structure for life through worship. So God can nurture and, and deepen our relationship with Him through worship, so that we can hear God's opinion on things. So we, and God's opinion, by the way, is more than just an opinion. It's the, the definitive declaration of reality. We can hear what God has to say about things, then I can live a life in peace and prosperity. When I am convinced and I hear, you know what? God has called me, God has redeemed me, God is taking care of me. Then I can journey through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I'm not obsessing about trying to save myself. God's got this. So the psalmist says, when they said, let's go up to worship, my heart leapt for joy. This is not a platitude. It's not propaganda. It's not something just super spiritual people say. It's something that the pilgrim, The pilgrim who is journeying to God recognizes this is important. This is part of who I am. This is the fabric of my being. One more story and then I'm done. I remember as a little kid, people would testify and they would say things like, Oh, I've been working all week and I'm tired and it's been a rough week. And, you know, we started singing and I just feel so refreshed. And as a little kid, you think, why are they lying in church? What do you mean? You need to go home and take a nap. That's how you get refreshed. When I'm tired and, and worn out and stuff, I want to go take a nap or get something to eat. How are you going to get all dressed up and get in your car and drive to church and now you're going to sing and clap and do all this and be refreshed? Right? That's the voice of the immature child who doesn't understand the power of worship. And the longer I live, The more I cherish the ability and the privilege of just stepping into the presence of God and saying, there is a bigger story. I was talking to someone just this week about this, about church, and I said, it is a reminder. This is not all on me. This is not my show. It's not my world. It's not my creation. This is about God. It's about taking a deep breath and saying, God has been good to all of us. And we have different stories and different backgrounds. But the Lord is at work and the Lord is good. And Monday we're going to get barraged with all kinds of things. But for a few minutes on this Sunday afternoon, we are going to celebrate God's goodness. And the fact that he's called all of us to partner with him in his ongoing work of reconciliation and healing and hope, we have a role to play in that and that the Lord will take care of each and every one of us. That is a delightful thing to learn, to relax into the rhythm of grace and just trust in this great God who called us to start this pilgrim path. So the fourth chapter is next week. And I'd encourage you to read ahead. We've now looked at repentance, providence, worship. Next week, we'll be moving into service and looking at Psalm 123. Thank you for listening. Our podcasts are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. To hear more, visit us online at orogracepoint.com.